comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to them who have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up With wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Gospel readings from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding 
and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, in this sacred time and space, we ask that we would have the courage to be open to the transforming presence of your Spirit among us, that your word would speak deeply to us, our hearts would be open, our ears attentive, and that you would be glorified in all that is said and done. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When we are in distress, the promises of the Bible certainly sound good, don't they? Take those familiar and well-loved passages that we just read from Isaiah and Matthew. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, says the prophet. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, says Jesus and I will give you rest. Sounds good and inviting, doesn't it? Kind of like a warm blanket and a hot cup of chocolate on a cold winter's night. So attractive, so beautiful. No wonder these passages are so well loved. In our service of lament last month, for those of you who were able to participate, we sought to explore as full a range of losses and griefs as possible both in our grief worksheet and in our prayers. The prayers were long and covered a lot of emotional and spiritual ground. One of the last prayers, however, was short and deceptively simple. For all of us who are weary, we pray. Until you've actually experienced it, you can't really know how exhausting grief is both emotionally and physically. So in a season of loss upon loss and grief upon grief, the promise of rest and renewal shimmers like an oasis in the desert. But how do these extraordinary promises play out in real life? Can our strength actually be renewed? Can the burden grow lighter? The short answer is yes. 
But it may be a bit more nuanced than we've often been led to believe or maybe even wanted to believe. As is often the case with famous sayings from the Bible, the very familiarity of the words can get in the way of our understanding of them. Because if we look at these words of Jesus, like we've never seen them before, they don't really make sense, do they? We all understand what the yoke is, right? The yoke is that thing that goes around the neck of the beast of the burden so that they can pull the load, the wagon or the plow or whatever. So how can placing a yoke on someone who is already heavily burdened actually make the the burden lighter? How can it make things better? Wouldn't that simply be adding to the burden rather than taking away from it? Well, to try to answer these questions, let's look more closely at the entire quote. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we look at the passage more closely, reading each word like we've never seen it before, not always easy to do, there is both profound depth in it and more than one thing going on. So let's dive right in quickly here. First, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If your heart is heavy, your mind is overworked. If you're feeling overwhelmed, bring these burdens to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Well, how do you give rest to someone who's carrying a heavy burden? Instinctively, we think, well, we take the burden away from them, right? We carry it for them so they have a break from it. And certainly that's what we're drawn to. That's what we gravitate to. We we delight in the idea of just not having the burden on our shoulders anymore. But there are some burdens that are ours to bear. And there are others that are not. You see, there are the burdens that are the inevitable consequences of our choices. And I'm not just talking about our poor choices, our bad choices. For example, we would never experience great loss if we never loved. We could choose to guard our hearts, place up a huge wall around it, and choose not to love. And if we did that, we wouldn't experience such intense loss. But when we choose to love, we risk much greater pain when we do experience loss. Now, my children are an endless source of sermon illustrations. It's, the, it's a hazard of the job being a preacher's kid. Uh, I think others are more temperate and disciplined than I am, but I love telling stories about my kids. And I have, basically, I have permission um, with certain limits, I'm sure. Anyhow, a number of years ago, uh, my daughter Natanya had a, a, had a tank full of tropical fish. And every time one of her fish died, which inevitably would happen, she would cry like her heart was breaking. She would just weep and weep and weep. And every time, I said the same thing to her. Your tears are evidence that you loved well. 
Now, I, I, I said that to her one time, and I said, uh, I, I keep saying this to you. She said, well, I've never noticed before. Um, so maybe in her grief, she wasn't hearing her dad, or maybe she's really, really good at not hearing dad. Nevertheless, it could be one or two years, as in the case of a small pet, or it could be 50, 60, or 70 years, as is the case with a parent or a spouse. But when you choose love, and when you choose to love well, you will eventually and inevitably experience the burden of great loss. Now that is exactly the right choice to make. There's no doubt about that. To choose to love is always the right choice. Yet many of us who have chosen to love and have endeavored to love well haven't experienced an unexpected comfort in the midst of our loss and our grief. By the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and and of comforters in human form, people who can step into our loss and our pain and just be there with us, our burden is somehow made a little lighter. Then, of course, there are poor poor choices that bear within, within themselves burdensome consequences. Certainly sin is like that. Again, an example from my children. When he was younger, my son Alex had a, an ambiguous relationship with the truth, and I think a lot of kids go through that at certain stages of their development. But there were times when he really, really massaged reality or flat-out deceived us or lied. And I would say to him when I discovered that this had happened, I would say, Alex, I don't have to punish you. Your punishment is built right into your choice. I said, you see, the time will come when you will tell the truth and you will need to be believed when you tell the truth and people won't believe you because they know you massage the truth. Your punishment is built right in to the act itself and the pattern of behavior. But there's another type of of consequence to sinful choices and sinful behavior. You see, especially when it comes to our bad and destructive choices, we really want to believe that we're not any different from or any worse than anybody else. We want to think when it comes to our bad behavior that we're just normal. Everybody does this. Everybody says this. Everybody acts this way. Well, to use the example of lying again, if you are in the habit of massaging reality to fit your ends, to fit your purposes, if you're in the habit of deceiving others uh, for your own gain, you're likely to assume that everybody else is doing exactly the same thing to you. You're likely to assume that nobody ever tells the truth and therefore you can't trust anybody because they're all lying just like you do. And that's a horrible, terrible dungeon of, of pain to be in when there is nobody left to trust because you believe everybody lies. These are the burdens that are, are ours to bear based on our, our choices and the consequences of our choices. Yet Jesus, in his mercy, will help lighten the burden of our loss and deliver us from the just consequences of our sin. But there's another category of burden that is not ours to bear. We were never intended to carry this category of burden. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. First of all, the crushing burden of perfectionism. I self-identify as a recovering perfectionist. So this is very close to home for me. 
While the pursuit of excellence falls within the biblical injunction to do everything as unto the Lord and do the best of our ability, and it can fulfill us with satisfaction and great joy as we endeavor to do the best of our, to the best of our ability in the pursuit of excellence, the pursuit of perfection is a soul-crushing burden that no person can bear effectively. It will, it will crush us, it will crush the life right out of us. It comes out of either, on the one hand, a diminished sense of self. If I make just one mistake, that'll be the last straw and it'll all collapse around me. I can't afford to make a mistake because that will be proof that those little whispers that I'm not enough will, be, will finally be proven true. Or, on the other hand, an idolatrously high sense of self. I don't make mistakes. Or some curious combination of the two. Another example, trying to control or fix people or things that are beyond our control and our responsibility and capacity. In my pastoral care, I'm particularly sensitive to any feelings of being overwhelmed by my caring relationships. Because when that happens, it's usually a sign that I've tried to take responsibilities that are not mine to take. It's usually a sign that I have come to understand that it's my job to fix the person that's in front of me. Well, I don't know if this will cause you a great deal of disillusionment in me, but I don't have enough wisdom to know what needs to be fixed. And even if I did, I don't have the power to change anybody. I don't have the power even to change myself. The only one who has the wisdom to know what needs fixing and has the power to bring about transformation is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's it. So when I take on a responsibility to fix somebody else, it will always, always go badly and it will be an overwhelming burden for me and probably for the other person. From these kinds of burdens, Jesus is eager to deliver us if we are willing. So the rest that Jesus offers us is mercy and redemptive grace applied to the burdens that are our responsibility and glorious freedom from the burdens that are not. Wonderful, we say. But how does that happen? In a word, discipleship. Christian discipleship. The image in Jesus' invitation is that of a brace of oxen yoked together to pull the plow or the cart or whatever. When there's a new ox to be trained, it will be yoked with a steady veteran that can teach the new ox how to make this thing work, this new thing work for them. The mature ox will provide guidance and do the bulk of the work of pulling while the young ox learns how to work as a team and eventually pull its own weight. Yoked together with us, Jesus humbly and patiently teaches us how to step into the yoke. In so doing, he also teaches us about humility and patience. But what is the yoke? In the ancient rabbinic world, there was a discussion about the yoke. Biblically, the yoke was used, always used as a symbol of service, sometimes even oppression and slavery. You see that in the prophets often enough. The, prophet, the, the rabbis talked about choosing your yoke. You could choose the yoke of the kingdom of people, or you could choose the yoke of Torah, 
the law. And you had that choice, one or the other. As the, uh, the famous philosopher and theologian, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Uh, you've got to serve somebody. No, <laughs> no, um, uh, I, was being, I was being ironic about philosopher and theologian. Um, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan says, you've got to serve somebody. You've got to pick. You've got to pick your yoke, right? And remember when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was. What did he answer? We quoted at the beginning of many of our services. According to Jesus, the essence of the law was love, your God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' yoke is love. Martin Luther King famously said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. The yoke of love may not always seem easy, but the burden of love is much lighter and far less destructive than the fear and the hate that it replaces. But there's a second significance to the yoke. It's clear to us that the yoke means work. It means service. Now, when we are wounded, there is a necessary season of rest in order to receive some measure of healing and recovery of strength. But regardless of where you are in your journey of healing, your gifts and your calling remain sure and unshaken. This may matter much more to you than you realize right now. But one of the often unarticulated and unconscious sources of distress in the midst of great loss is the question of purpose. Our losses can seem so random and cruel and purposeless that we may fear that they're exactly that. We may even fear that maybe there is no purpose at all. And it's much easier to believe the sibilant whisper in the dark. But here... Jesus invites us into our purpose, our purpose of loving service to God and others. Not in spite of our loss and grief and weariness, but because of it. Now, I can't attribute or prescribe meaning to your loss and pain, nor can you do that for another. That's something that each one of us needs to discover for ourselves, though often over time and with some help. However, the famous passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 encourages us to comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And it is exactly there that the purpose of our loss and pain can come to the surface. Where and how we have received comfort and healing often becomes a significant part of our own ministry calling. So Jesus offers us mercy and redemptive grace for the burdens that are our responsibility and glorious freedom from the burdens that are not. And he offers us purpose for our loss, grief, and pain, a purpose lived out in service for others, a purpose for which our pain equips and prepares us. So, in the fullness of time, let us take up the yoke of love to step into our purpose and calling with clarity and the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.